inspire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Pio from the Nifty Alpha. And if, if, it's no, if it's not obvious, this is another NFT episode where we're diving into Pio's story, his origin story, and his journey to creating a very prolific, very successful um, content creation platform all around NFTs. And uh, we dive into his entire story, where he is today, how he got here, and the um, journey through uh, video production and creating music videos. And it's it's a really great conversation. There's a lot to, to unpack and to consider when you're looking at your own journey. So without further ado, my conversation with Pio from the Nifty Alpha. I'm already two and a half hours deep into NFT content, and that's not counting you and me right now. So I guess when it's all said and done, I'll probably be three and a half hours deep of just pure, you know, on camera NFT content. And that doesn't count like tweeting and just like, you know, monitoring the market and stuff. So I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm getting a little run down. So I need to uh, make sure I'm exercising, sleeping enough, you know, just to kind of keep it together because I'm still doing both. I'm still doing the day job thing and the NFT thing. And hopefully, hopefully it's just the NFT thing within like the next six months or so. But for, <laughs> for the time being, I'm still doing both. Yeah, I don't know how you balance all that. It is It is really mind boggling how much you've produced and how quickly because when, well, actually, so I kind of want to start just who you are and what you're doing right now, and then we'll just get into everything, rewind for origin stories and all sorts of stuff. But what? who is P.O. today? Well, today, uh, you know, I'm an NFT content creator. Um, I will be an NFT creator in the near future as well, uh, but I don't want to talk too much about that because that's definitely getting ironed out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I'm someone that's loved art for a long time. I like, like, you know, markets and like money making too, like the finance side kind of not that I've done that at some crazy scale, but I've always been interested in wealth creation and, you know, and like literally just like money, you know, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but, um, and that's what kind of got me to Bitcoin and Bitcoin got me to NFTs. And, uh, and yeah, now I'm just looking to do as much NFT related content, business creation, relationship building. Um, I'm all in on the NFT space. And I think that it is an amalgamation of all of the things that I've been interested in really since I was a child. And so having all those things fuse into this one uh, space that I can give my energy to has literally been the best thing that's happened in my entire life. And I've basically been looking for like eight years for something like this. Um, we can talk about the origin story, but yeah, there's basically been like this eight year period where I've been looking for something to dump all my energy into. And then I've tried with other things and kind of dip my toe in, but this is the one where I was like, finally, you know, I have the thing to do and that's why I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. When you say eight years, is there something about that? specific eight-year mark that changed within you? Yeah. So um, basically when I was like, well, I always did creative things. Like when I was like a little, little kid and they asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, I said, you know, an artist and I would come into school with like, you know, the, the palette and like the easel and everything, you know? And then when I got to high school, I started doing digital stuff. Like I started using, doing like photo manipulation with Photoshop. And then uh, later, well, not well, kind of at the same time, video editing and, and shooting videos. And that kind of was the big thing. That was like the thing that I was kind of good at right away. I tried to do music stuff too, because I've always liked music, but I'm just so um, innately bad at music that I don't <laughs> think any, I, I, I like don't have any memories of people being like, dude, you, you're really good at music. You should keep going. Like, I, I don't have any memories <laughs> like that, you know? Whereas when I started doing video, um, it kind of got that immediate pause response from people that I showed uh, showed it to. And so um, by the time I got to college, you know, I had the interest in music. I wasn't good at it. I had the skills in video. I didn't know how to apply it. I ended up um, a friend of mine, like a good friend started making music and I just like rented a camera and made some music videos for him. And then people saw the, and then I was like, I really like doing that. We did like three music videos with that rented camera and there was like a positive response right away. And I was like, I think I need to like take this seriously. So I bought 
a DSLR camera when I was probably 20. I think I was the age that I got the camera and I did more videos with him. And then other local musicians started noticing the videos. And then I started interning at a recording studio in Boston where I was going to school and I started meeting different people. You know, my school was right next to Berkeley College of Music. So all of a sudden this snowball started where I was developing relationships as a photographer and videographer for local musicians in Boston. And that then that started to snowball to Boston and New York. So I was in college skipping class and going to New York for two or three days to work on projects, you know, meeting some people and working with some people that now are, you know, literally A-list celebrities. So, you know, that was definitely a cool experience. And I did that for about five years and it brought me out to Los Angeles. And when I got out to Los Angeles, um, I didn't think ahead that, you know, because you have a client base for, for gig work, right? Music video shooting is basically gig work. And everybody knows that the music industry isn't overflowing with money, right? It's not like the crypto or NFT space. Um, so I basically ran out of money when I moved to LA and I had to get a day job. And that was just about eight years ago. And slowly the day job started taking more time and you're not making much money with music. And the music industry is like this, you know, brutal Machiavellian system for music. So you can imagine like what a, a, a tangential person, like a music video director would have to put up with. Um, and so then from there, I was looking for my own thing to do. And I was like thinking about doing cooking videos because I love to cook. And But then the amount of work you have to put in versus the return was a lot there. Uh, so I was just basically looking for a creative outlet where I could, you know, do my own thing. And, and then the NFT space came along and it's kind of been a wrap from there uh, for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You definitely landed in your spot, found your lane. Um, and I want to touch on some of the stuff in the path along the way as well. So was the video editing, was that your first experience with an entrepreneurial or like service-based business or like that sort of endeavor where you are your own, uh, for lack of a better term, boss, but you're in control of your own destiny? Yeah, I think that like, you know, I always had ideas of of being an entrepreneur, but as like a, a kid, you know, as like a teenager and stuff and, um, you know, growing up in like a working class kind of area, I don't really remember like being able to identify opportunity, not that like it was impossible because, you know, it's like someone like Gary Vee heard me say this, he'd say like, you totally could have done it. So, you know, I'm not saying it would have been impossible, but I feel like, yeah, when I was like 20 and I started doing the video stuff for real, um, that was really the, the music and the video stuff, you know, was, was the first entrepreneurial pursuit for sure. Yeah. So did you run into any challenges say finding the new clients because you mentioned i mean clients like musicians you were in the community so you have that network effect which really helps like oh i'm producing great work for so and so and then other people see it and it works together was there anything else that you had to do sort of outreach wise or any uh, steps you had to take well, I definitely reached out to people that were like bigger artists and there were instances where I just totally never got a response or any acknowledgement from those artists. There were instances where for a while I didn't get any acknowledgement from them, but then after a big music video or after a big project that I directed came out, then it prompted them to respond. And I'm kind of seeing the same thing in the NFT space where, you know, I've reached out to people, they didn't get back to me, but then as they see the development development of the content and the growth, then they'll kind of proactively reach back out and be like, oh yeah, I'm totally game you know, to do a video or to do that interview. Um, but I'd say that the real challenges at that time were um, you know, earning money off of the work because when you're dealing with musicians, it's uh, at that time, at that age, it's common that there wasn't like a budget. you know, So you're kind of doing a lot of work for free. So you had to identify what was worthwhile because of like the the clout that you might get or, or the relationships that you're building versus you know when you had to do something for money but then you're also like creating art for money for somebody else which isn't always the best look you know um so i learned a lot of lessons that apply now to my career if you will in the nft space through those experiences um and the last one being the last sort of like 
challenge and hardship of that time is that, you know, production, like anybody that works in, in film or video production will tell you that it's a very stressful environment. And, you know, so much planning goes into it to make it less stressful, but on the day of the shoot, it's still very stressful. And a lot of times when you deal with like, you know, an amateur musician, for example, there's not that understanding of doing that uh, planning and preparation ahead of time to the extent that it needs to be done. So then on the day of the shoot, there can be frustration. It can adversely impact the work because, you know, the more planning you do with filmmaking, the better it's going to come out. I mean, I've seen your setup, you know, you had to plan to build that setup out, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't just roll out of bed and say, okay, cool. Here's the podcasting setup, <laughs> you know? So when you kind of think about that, those were the challenges that I had at that time. And I've definitely learned from them and am applying them directly, you know, into the NFT space now. And that's why I think my learning curve, you know, this camera that I'm, I'm talking to you on right now is the same camera that I used to shoot music videos on eight years ago. So nice. I, I was able to just kind of, yeah, get right in. I got some new lights and stuff, some more modern stuff, new microphone. Um, but I was just able to kind of come in and rock and roll. Whereas I could imagine that other people that, you know, maybe see what I'm doing, see what you're doing and say, okay, cool. I want to make content in the NFT space. There's like this whole separate learning curve. Not that it's that hard, but there's still like kind of that extra step to, to get in the game. Well, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, it's it's sort of that taste as well. So there's a quote from Ira Glass that like when you start out, your taste outpaces your ability, really, because you you know what you like. Like you see, people might see what you're doing and they're like, oh, I'm going to start this. I'm going to live stream every day. I'm going to get all these people and I'm going to do all these things that you don't immediately jump to where where you are because it it takes a lot to build relationships, to just from a technical standpoint, like you said, figure out the setup, learn how to run an interview because it's it's not just like a it's a conversation. Like I try to make this as um, conversational as possible, just like we're across the table, like maybe grabbing a coffee or whatever. But there is like there's a skill and an art to it that takes time to really develop. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I love that you're applying then all of that experience, the, the past experience to where you are right now. So from there from working on music videos the the gap between to here um as far as i understand you're not actually in a space like your day job isn't a space that's really related to the music industry or like pro video production is, is that right yeah, it's not. A, when I when I got into it, you know, there were two things. I was like, I got to make money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was the big thing. Like, I was like, I need money because that's the whole problem here is that I didn't have money. So I was like, I need money and I need a skill that actually will be applicable to filmmaking. Because at that time, it was still just all about being a director, all about filmmaking. And what you just said about like um, your taste outpacing, you know, your ability uh -huh. uh, in photography and filmmaking. I can relate to that so much because I'll just watch like a Ari Aster film or I'll see, <laughs> honestly, some of the some of the uh, photography in the NFT space is bonkers. It is unbelievable, you know, and it, it makes me actually just want to totally give up because I'm like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> like the skill gap is insane. And and yeah, getting to that level of development is incredible. But yeah, so back to the job thing, um, you know, I knew I needed money. I wanted and needed money. I knew that I wanted a skill that would be transferable for filmmaking. And I felt that my presentation ability at that time, because of the experiences I had on set, you know, dealing with people that had egos and dealing with people that were opinionated, I felt like I could have presented myself in a stronger and um, a, a more of a I could could have been perceived more as a leader at that time. And I also saw benefit to being able to communicate a vision effectively. So everything that I just kind of talked about really rolls into in the professional world, one area. And I would say that that area is sales. And so I got a sales job and it was really hard and it's still hard, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's taught me uh, a lot about presenting yourself, persuading people, communication, um, you know, communication more than just like speaking loudly and clearly and having a good vocabulary, but actually being able to effectively tell someone exactly what you're looking to tell them, which is an art form that is often, I think, like, you know, not understood that there's 
a way to communicate something effectively. And I think that that's helped me with interviewing people in the NFT space without a doubt, but it's also helped me uh, now when I'm working with my partner, Nick, for example, over at the Nifty Alpha, communicate what I think that we should be accomplishing. So um, it's been a positive in terms of my development as a professional in all categories. And it's absolutely helped out a lot in the NFT space. Um, having said that, I'm looking to stop doing it as soon as possible because <laughs> I just want to be full-time NFTs, of course. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And when you said, like when we chatted a little over DM, when you said that you had a day job still, you weren't doing this full-time, it just, it still, it just boggles the mind because you've, you're so prolific. You've grown at such a pace because uh, you're producing great work in a very consistent, uh, rapid pace, really. Because essentially, how frequently are you posting? Like, I kind of want to talk about more of the things you you dabbled in, but how frequently are you posting right now, generally, when it comes to uh, video content? Well, I appreciate you saying that first and foremost, man. I I really appreciate the kind words. Um, Yeah, I mean, I know from the YouTube days, from doing the music video thing back in the day and studying YouTube and studying YouTubers uh, to try to understand how that whole system works, um, anybody that makes content is going to tell you, uh, and I'm sure you know this, you have to be consistent. You know, I appreciate using the term prolific, but like there's really prolific people. Like I look at someone like Meet Kevin, and he'll yeah. drop like seven. Yeah, he's out of his mind. He drops like seven <laughs> or eight videos a day. It's like, I don't know how he does it. And no teleprompter, just like crushing the content, you know, amazing performances. You know, um, what real I'm quick, doing now is real quick. On yeah, his, have, have you ever seen his setup from the other side? What he looks at? I saw one video. I think I, th- I know he has a teleprompter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it is right, right. an amazing set. Like I see that and I'm like, that is what I need to like that's what I want. Like he has all his cameras ready to go. He has all the it's a teleprompter, but it's just so he can see the screen so he knows what it looks like really. It's not like reading a script or anything. But I'm like, that's that's sort of the dream, right? You flip the switch on in the room and you're just ready to go from there. It's just wild. But that's yeah, part of the stuff that you learn that he's learned over all these years, how to how to get to where he is. Yeah. And I think that you and me might've seen the same video on him in that video. He says um, that, and this actually, that particular video, this particular quote helped me out a lot when I started making content in the NFT space, because he said he wanted it to be as frictionless as possible for him to get content out. Because I mean, he's doing eight videos a day, right? Literally, like I'm not exaggerating. Like that's what that guy is doing. And so when you're doing that, you have to be, unless you have a whole staff of people that are preparing your content, like if you're like a Gary Vee or someone like that, sure, you can you can just be the person that shows up in front of the camera and other people will take care of it. But when you're doing one of these one man or a couple man operations, uh, you have to make it frictionless. So that's why I live stream. So you ask me how often I do content. The Nifty Alpha YouTube channel, we do one YouTube video every single day. Uh, Some days it's only 30 minutes or other days it'll be an hour and 10 minutes, depending on how much we have to talk about, how much time we have in our days. But at the end of the day, like we do a YouTube video every single day and it's live stream. So we don't have to edit anything. The only editing that has to happen is thumbnail development. And we've actually admittedly been not so good about that. But I went to New York uh, yesterday one day trip to New York or two days ago, one day trip uh, to go in and meet Nick in person, Nifty Nick, my partner on that project. And we were just in his apartment taking pictures for the thumbnails, like literally just nice. going like, <laughs> like, like just these silly pictures laughing, our, you know, laughing our butts off or whatever. Um, but it's important, right? And so now what we're doing is we're building out the infrastructure for those thumbnails so that we'll have a whole setup that someone else realistically like a um like a virtual assistant type person will able be able to plug into to be able to general generate those thumbnails so again a frictionless situation to be able to put out content so yeah to, to directly answer your question it's one youtube video a day and then 5 days a week monday through friday we do a morning twitter space for an hour and a half uh it's 9am almost every day i think on mondays we started at 10am a little bit later cuz of morning meetings we have um but yeah, the, the Twitter spaces takes a lot of energy out of me because it's a full 90 minutes. Um, 
you have to be alert because we let audience members on stage and it can get kind of wild when you just have <laughs> random people coming on stage and we're trying to really do a show. Like it's supposed yeah. to be a show, you know, it's not one of these like, yeah, come chill things. Like it's a show. And so when you get wild cards in there, you got to kind of police the room, but you can't come off like a big jerk, you know? So that, <laughs> that takes a lot of energy out of me. I'm not going to lie. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that is something that I think I've noticed sort of in spaces, in Clubhouse, whatever, um, a lot of people don't realize that are running them, don't realize it is a show. It's a performance. It's a it's a piece of content, educational, maybe entertaining, whatever, but it it's important for the host and or hosts or whatever to to remember that and keep everything sort of reined in on topic, or at least maybe not on topic, but sort of going down the path that like you as a creator, you know this is what my audience wants because it's it's very easy just to go off the rails and just be sort of a coffee shop. There's a bunch of people talking and not really getting to to anything uh, of value. Say, do you do with the live stream? Do you do video mixed with Twitter? Because I've been I've been really curious about doing Twitter Spaces and sort of blending the two together. But it would it would take sort of some uh, a little finagling. Yeah, like I think I think long term we'll definitely do that. Um, we have goals of what we need to accomplish right now that I think, not that that wouldn't be important, but I think that, for example, the thumbnails on our YouTube yeah. videos, like we have to do that. That's like a basic thing that we haven't been doing. <laughs> so we have to like, we have to do that. Um, but we'll get to the point where I, I've been thinking about this a lot. It sounds like you have too incorporating video into the Twitter space. And it would also be a fantastic way for interviews because I see like G Money, for example, he does his interviews on Twitter spaces. So it's literally like a live interview in front of an audience, but it's recorded. And then it goes on YouTube, just audio. It uh, goes on like Spotify, like all the, all the platforms for podcasts. So I like that but I want to add video to that too. And when you start thinking about the technicals of it and you think about the fact that I think Twitter Spaces has only existed for like three months or four months or something, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, it's a new product and it also crashes regularly. It actually has been a little bit better recently, but I think over time, without question, video will be incorporated into our Twitter Spaces and uh, from there, we'll be able to really rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you use a roadcaster, but I've been planning to, yeah, to give that a shot because we can have the Zoom call just like we're having. If we're muted here and only talking through Twitter spaces, everything just integrates really well. Just, I don't know. I get excited about figuring out those, uh, the, the ways to remove friction, just like you, like you said, to be able to do a live stream to reach that huge um, Twitter audience for NFTs because it is, it's very, it's a special moment in time and Twitter is that place where people are uh, congregating. I totally agree with you. And that's actually a mistake that I made is that I focused more on YouTube at the beginning than Twitter. Um, and I should have been live streaming all of my YouTube content to Twitter as I live streamed it right from the beginning, like every single time. And I had the incorrect mentality where I was like, oh, I, I should post the link to Twitter and drive viewership to Twitter rather than actually have the video also stream to Twitter because then it'll take away from the YouTube views. But that's essentially just having a scarcity mentality, which is never going to be good. And it uh, it's we're doing Twitter right now. It's going incredibly well. You want to be all over Twitter. It's all about Twitter and Discord and the NFT space. And if you can build out YouTube with it, that's great. But it's it's about Twitter and Discord first. Yeah, for sure. So I just wanted to touch briefly on some of the other things that you tried along the way before you landed on NFTs, because like, it sounds like we're cut from a very similar cloth. It, we, you see that like, oh, I want this change in my life. Now, how do I get there? But it's never a clean path. It's never just, oh, you found NFTs, you started a YouTube channel, and now here we are. And like maybe in a few months, you'll be able to leave the job. Um, what other things have you dabbled in over the years? Yeah, I mean, like, um, you know, in terms of dabbling, I'd say the main dabbling for me is like, you know, music, filmmaking, like the arts, you know, photography, mm -hmm. like it, it was really creative pursuits. And I framed everything as like trying to be a creative person. Like when I was 22 or 23, there was like a point in time where I had seen every single piece of video content on YouTube where Quentin Tarantino or Paul Thomas Anderson were talking about filmmaking. <laughs> Literally, there wasn't anything else. I bought the DVDs. I think I probably have them near. Yeah. Like, look at this. I literally bought this the physical DVD of Boogie Nights nice. because it was the only place at that time that you could get 
um, the director commentary where he talks throughout the whole Boogie Nights movie and gives his commentary. P.T. Anderson does, you know, so I was just totally obsessed with filmmaking and the idea of being a director and, you know, creating these music videos at the time, but moving into narrative film. Um, so really my dabbling, yeah, was in music, uh, video, photography, just developing that skill set. In March 2020, I was living in New York City, um, COVID hit. And the first weekend that New York City was on lockdown, you know, no one was leaving their house. The social events were completely out of the question. It was a really intense time. I was just in my apartment and I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm not going to just watch TV or I'm not going to just, you know, watch a movie or something like that. I'm going to make the most out of this time. And that night was when I started going into the Bitcoin wormhole. So I'm not an OG Bitcoiner. I, I did not buy it in 2013. I did not buy it in 2017. Like you hear a lot of people talk about, I found out about it in 2014 and basically just didn't do any research on it from 2014 to 2020. And then that night, uh, the first night of lockdown on the weekend in New York, I found a video of Anthony Pompliano. You know, he's blown up now, Pomp. Um, talking to billionaire Chamath Paliapatia of the All In podcast. I didn't know who either of those guys were. And they were having an in-depth conversation about Bitcoin. And I just listened and I was like, that's crazy. Um, and, that, and I started buying Bitcoin and I started watching content on Bitcoin. And over like the course of the next eight, nine months, like come November, December, I became a full-blown Bitcoiner really towards like October, November. I was like, oh my God, this is it. So I just started putting like whole paychecks into Bitcoin. Just, I couldn't get enough of it. And then I, I saw an interview on Pomp's podcast again with the, the Cock Foster twins, the creators of Nifty Gateway. And so in like October, November of 2020, you can look up whatever day the Cock Foster twins were on that podcast. That was when I found out about NFTs. And because I was so deep in Bitcoin, I kind of just got it right away. I wasn't like, oh, it's like a JPEG. Like I just kind of understood it right away. And I started paying attention to the Nifty Gateway specifically Nifty Gateway NFT market. I didn't know what CryptoPunks were or anything yet. Um, and I ended up buying my first NFT in February. And then it was kind of a wrap from there. I was totally irresponsible. I put like $25,000 <laughs> into Nifty Gateway NFTs between early February and late March. And then of course, late March, the bubble burst. I didn't sell anything. So I felt like I really got wrecked, but I didn't sell anything. And I stayed in the game and I stayed making content. I didn't buy Bored Apes. I didn't buy V Friends because I was so shook by the negative feelings from the, um, you know, the capitulation on Nifty Gateway. So I missed some, some heavy hitters that I definitely <laughs> should have bought. Um, but I stayed in the space. I kept making content. And eventually all the Nifty Gateway stuff came back anyway. So I didn't, I didn't end up getting wrecked anyway. Um, but that's kind of, yeah, that's the sort of origin story on how I got to NFTs and really a lot just about me top to bottom. The other thing I dabbled in is cooking and I love to cook still. And you're probably going to see NFT cooking content from me at some point, I don't know when, but no, at some point, yeah, like like I used to have, uh, it's, it still exists, but it's sort of dormant. But um, a food and health and wellness platform. I'm at your health coach and all these things, dabbling in a bunch of different things. But like a pretty successful platform that I've been thinking about, sort of going down that like recipe cooking. Like, what opportunity is there in NFTs? And we'll talk about opportunities that you might see uh, later. But I do think it's it's one of those lanes that really hasn't been explored to much of a degree at all from what I've seen, which is really interesting. But I just wanted to real quick touch on October, November 2020. It is wild how quickly everything has moved since NFTs have like blown up because like everyone, like basically none of us were in into NFTs. There's a handful of people who had punks and whatnot, but basically none of us in this space right now are, we're in NFTs before a year ago. And I think that's really important to sort of stick a pin in because if you didn't start creating, like when did you start actually? When did you start creating your own content? March okay. of yeah. this year. Uh -huh. So it's been like seven months. Yeah. And, and in seven months, you're, you've established the, the runway. You've, you've built your uh, sort of platform, your personality as like a 
crypto influencer, whatever, however you'd want to look at it, um, you've built it to the degree where there actually is a path to leaving your job and making this a full-time, uh, a full-time career path for you, which is, I think it's so important to think about because how many people were in the same boat and just didn't start? They're like, oh, which the, the show is called Starting Now. It's sort of along these lines is I've had always all these ideas. I wanted to start a podcast like eight years ago or more of this exact show, and I just never did. And I think it's so important to get started on on the journey. That, like when you see it, when you see the opportunity, you're into it, like to dive in. And you're a great example of doing that. I couldn't agree more. And I, I have the same examples that you have. So like uh, I did just start when I did the music video. So I'll give myself credit for that. I did just, I was an animal. I just started, <laughs> I spent thousands of dollars on like an unreasonable amount of money for a 21, 22 year old person. Um, I spent all the money I made on like my co-op jobs in college on uh, camera equipment, you know? So I did just start that. Mm -hmm. And then I just started the sales career out of desperation, right? But then there was a ton of not just starting. It was like the cooking videos that I was supposed to do. I would shoot them a little bit, but I wouldn't edit them. They never ended up coming out. I didn't just start. And the same thing was happening with the NFT stuff. I was telling my friend, oh, I'm going to make NFT content. I'm going to make NFT content. And he had seen me go through the whole thing with the cooking videos where I never ended up doing it. I just talked about it and I didn't do it. you know. And he was like, well, when are you going to do the NFT videos? And I was like, oh, like I'm going to totally do it. And then he said, he was like, you and me are going to do like a YouTube video tomorrow night. And we're just going to talk about NFTs. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And he and I did it. And I've made a video almost every day since then. But it was ripping that Band-Aid off, as they say, um, that sparked the beginning of this NFT journey. And what if he didn't say that? Like, I may have never started doing it. And I just don't even know where I'd be right now if that was the case because i'm just i'm so into this i'm so motivated i'm sitting here you know talking to you right now i was telling you uh off air that this is the third this i'm basically in my fourth hour of nft content today yeah you know <laughs> yeah it is wild yeah i mean you are you are absolutely all in and yeah you're creating great work um and on the cooking uh no real quick was there a specific lane or anything where because like i was i came from the, like the paleo space so like gluten-free and um sort of what's now morphed more into keto but did you have like a lane or anything specific that you um are in I'm into, I'm into the paleo stuff. I've read The Paleo Cure by Chris Kessler. I think that's a great mm -hmm. book. Um, and I think that that, that you know, way of eating is, is obviously fantastic. Um, my lane, so my parents are uh, like, I'm a son of immigrants, right, from Italy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, my lane was ancient cooking oh, because nice. I think here in the, yeah, in the United States, especially, I think that a lot of food culture is totally lost because when you think about it, the true food culture of the United States belongs to the Native Americans. And we all kind of know how that story went and how much has been lost there and how we basically don't even know how to properly use the food that grows here uh, because, you know, food has been developed literally over millennia. It's kind of the first thing that humans completely mastered was like hunting uh, you know, uh, raising crops, acquiring food, and then preparing it. And if you're from Italy, you, you understand that because all these regional recipes that are, you know, it's blasphemy to tamper with them at all, you know, and you'll drive 50 kilometers in Italy and it'll be a totally different story in terms of the way people are approaching dishes. Um, and so I feel like even though we have the internet and all this interconnectivity and all this content, I can't go and watch a really good video just like that of a traditional Italian dish made the way it was made for thousands of years. There's always some sort of, you know, BS spin on it that changes something. And so until we've locked down all the traditional dishes in YouTube videos, in web content, you know, from all the cultures. Like I love Indian food. I don't, I'm not Indian, you know, I have friends that are Indian, but I'd love to like have like an old Indian lady teach me how to make a dish from where she's at in, in India exactly the way it was made for literally like a thousand years. And that's just not readily available. We can see a bunch of videos of some like modern person doing <laughs> some crazy, ridiculous spin on something that nobody wants, you know? <laughs> um, 
but that traditional stuff was my lane. So that's a lot. I know where there's an NFT talk. I'm like talking my face off here about food, but I really am all about it. And um, it'll be in that lane, like ancient kind of cooking. Nice. I really like that. And and yeah, this is just a talk about you. I like diving into origin stories, learning more about you because um, yeah, you have the the daily content specifically about NFTs, but um, I like to pull back the curtain a little bit and see who, who PO is. Um, being the son of immigrants, how did they um how have they felt about you sort of going out on your own like you started with the music videos and doing things that um are are really yeah you're completely in control of that destiny but at the same time it's not like the tried and true path as you might think yeah and that that's why i didn't like go to art school for example it was never like in the cards for that because it was like college was going to be something that was uh that was going to result in like a career or like a job you know um you know i was raised by my mom and my my grandmother so like you know my mom is like kind of the main um you know parental figure that i i answer to so to speak <laughs> um and and uh you know with she she's an artist herself and so she she was a playwright and a, and a writer of like fiction. And so um, she always appreciated the, she didn't appreciate the music because I think she recognized that I just had no musical talent, you know, like <laughs> everybody else did. Um, but the filmmaking she and photography right away, she was like, oh, like this is good, you know? And she encouraged me to pursue that. And obviously it got to the point where I just wasn't making money with it. Um, and then she supported me in my sales career, you know? And, uh, and then now with the NFT stuff now, especially now that it's really picking up steam, um, I have her full support, you know? So like, oh yeah, all family stuff, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I come from a creative family, you know, having a, a parent that's literally an artist. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's all good there for sure. Yeah, for sure. So to talk a little bit up a little bit about Nifty Alpha and where you're at right now and where you uh see it going, what what it's something you maybe are most excited for that's on the horizon? I'm really just so excited about the content and the potential for the content. And um I genuinely do think that content is king. I think that um I think that we we've seen like 0.1% of what we're going to see with content that comes out of the NFT space. And I'm very, very, I couldn't be more excited about Nick, uh, you know, Nifty Nick, NFT Nick as a partner, uh, because I recognize that he's incredibly skilled when it comes to content. And I think that our um, sort of, we complement each other in, in a lot of interesting ways when it comes to content. Um, and then our, our third partner, the, you know, the wild card, if you will, the sophisticated <laughs> art speculator, um, you know, he's always interesting to, to get in the mix. You know, you throw a wild card in there and you never know what's going to, what's going to happen. Um, so, you know, we're just doing stuff from our bedrooms right now, right? Like, just like you and me are talking right now. Um, I just can't wait to get back to New York. Uh, I'm going to be moving back there in the next like three or four months and bring in my steady cam, you know, bring in all my camera equipment, getting the microphones out, getting the lights out and, uh, and doing like in real life content that's still NFT related and just seeing what comes of that. But, you know, we have big plans for how we're going to integrate more outside people into the content we're making right now. Um, so I really just think that what we're going to do there is going to be really special. Nice. And you mentioned the complementary skills, and that is so, so important when finding a, uh, a partner. How, uh, or do you have any tips maybe for someone on how to connect and find people who do mesh that way? Because like my business partner and I, We've been doing this, um, like we have a brand development agency called Spire. So we've been doing this for a while now, since uh, maybe 11 years or so. And we've been asked, like, how do you find a great partner? And honestly, our advice is find the person that you just mesh with perfectly. That's that's basically what we've said, because we don't have a good uh, a good piece of advice because it just worked out. We started, we connected through um, another person, started working together. And we're like, holy shit, this person is like the exact uh this person is me, but more on, he's the, he's the designer, I'm the developer, but then we overlap in the middle completely. But we have those, those lanes where we're able to carve out and really push things along. So do you happen to have any sort of advice maybe in how to, how to find a partner or even how to vet and connect with people that may be potential partners? Yeah, I guess my advice would be to like, try, try it out, like do it. 
you know, just like do it um, because I've collaborated with a lot of people in my music and filmmaking career. As you can imagine, those are incredibly collaborative mediums. You know, you basically have to collaborate, right? Because you need someone to be in front of the camera. If you're behind the camera, uh, you need someone, if you're like a musician, unless you do it entirely by yourself, you need another bandmate, right? You need somebody else to that participates. Um, so I've had the opportunity to collaborate with many, many people in creative pursuits. So I have like this large sample size, but I had to do it, right? I had to like take the action and do it. Um, and in the NFT space, I've collaborated with a ton of people so far already too. Um, and you have to do that. You know, and you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And don't be afraid to collaborate with a new person. And don't be afraid if it's not working out with someone else to, you know, openly communicate with them and just say, hey, I just, I don't feel like the chemistry's there. And I feel like, you know, we should both just keep rocking and rolling, but just in our own lanes and, and just keep it moving, you know? And so um, if I hadn't made all the content I had been making, then I wouldn't have eventually linked up with Nick and I wouldn't have interviewed the artists that I've interviewed so far. Um, so it's, and I wouldn't be here talking to you, you know, we're collaborating right now. So it's all about just doing it and not just like talking about it. Like I was doing with my cooking videos, just talking about them, but not doing them. I mean, if I had done the cooking video thing, who knows, maybe I'd be over here with Gordon Ramsay in the kitchen, just <laughs> chefing something up. I don't know, you know, uh -huh. so you really have to do it to figure it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I always like to say like doing more is where opportunity comes from. Um, very similarly, my girlfriend, just in the last a year and a half, everything has opened up for her because she went out and started creating on TikTok, like art history education, then led to her getting an, an actual job teaching at a college, the college she graduated from. And all of these different opportunities that just come from putting yourself out there and connecting and doing more. It's, it's just so important to get out there and do that. Um, so there's a few different lanes when it comes to NFTs. Like you have your your ETH, your um, Tezos or XTZ and um, Solana. And they sort of all have their own space, their own uh, niche, I guess, in the in the community. How do you feel about the different um, the different ecosystems? Because like ETH is sort of the the king right now. Yeah, it's a gnarly question. Um, I think that there's room for several. I think that People talk a lot about winner takes most in these markets and these situations. And I think I probably subscribe to that or prescribe whatever the word is, yeah, <laughs> uh, to that school of thought. Um, I think that this new Coinbase situation that's literally breaking news, it's developing, I think maybe it was announced like literally yesterday or, or two days ago. Yeah, so like uh, weeks ago Coinbase, in like NFT time, right? <laughs> it, Exactly. Yes. Yeah, old news now, but to the rest of the world, it's like brand spanking new. Right. And so, um, I think that is going to probably be really big. I think that having these trusted platforms like Coinbase and some other brands like brand names have been thrown around already as brands that are going to get involved with NFTs too. I think that that's going to be huge because then you're going to have the gasless transactions and that's really important. And you're also going to have a bigger audience because there's a bajillion Coinbase users already. You know, Coinbase has been around for years. So that built in trust is there. People have Ethereum and Bitcoin and these other uh, assets living on those platforms already, or they have access to be able to get them onto those platforms within a second. So there's a certain mainstream appeal to that. And then when you combine that, if they really do like a good UI and they make it really easy to use and really like seamless and no gas fees and all that, it's probably going to be pretty good. Uh, it'll basically be taking what Nifty Gateway did, but removing, you know, basically like learning from the mistakes that were made on Nifty Gateway and, and then bringing that to an existing massive audience. So that that's <laughs> bullish for NFTs, man. That's going to be bonkers oh, oh my yeah. goodness for sure and i haven't looked too much into it are they then still sticking with ethereum or do they have any sort of like cross-platform stuff in store that's a good question i don't know okay but i think that this will probably make ethereum because like the whole pitch of solana is that there's no gas mm -hmm. right it's like th that's the pitch um so i mean if there's no like i'm pretty sure people want their nfts to be on ethereum 
when they're on Coinbase if there's no gas? Because gas is kind of the big qualm that everybody has with Ethereum. And if you take that away, that's a pretty big deal. Oh, yeah, for sure. And with ETH2, that hopefully will be uh, mitigated a little bit on its own. But getting that out of the way now could just be huge for everything. And listing listing a piece, listing an NFT for $737 US dollars suddenly makes it like, oh, now I see how I can get into NFTs without having to maneuver everything around and and sort of figure out the, the crypto side. Yeah. Really interesting for it's sure. Definitely going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So um, I don't want to do too, too much of your time. So you've been at this, as you said, for hours in, in this space already today. But just along those lines, how have you managed burnout and not completely just getting wiped out from creating as much as you do? I mean, like the honest response is I just like don't have a social life anymore. Like that's <laughs> that's really it is like the social life has uh, has definitely um, fizzled out in many ways, you know, um, that's like a half joke, but it's like pretty serious too. at least Monday through Friday. Right. So like I used to train martial arts every day at 7 p.m. I don't do that anymore because like 7 p.m. is just prime time for everything that I'm doing right now. So it's just not possible. Um, when I move to New York and there'll be more options, I'll probably train at like literally 5 a.m. because the rest of the world is sleeping. So it's like now I really understand why The Rock and like, you know, <laughs> these these really successful people wake up at like 4 a.m. and they get their workout in before the rest of the world wakes up. Um, so that's probably what I'll have to do. Um, and the other thing is that I don't work all day on the weekends. I do work in the mornings. We do do streams in the mornings on the weekends. But like, there's just something about afternoon where I'm like, I'm not going to, I just, I now understand the weekend construct for human beings better than I ever did before. Um, so that's kind of how I manage burnout. And quite frankly, the thing that burns me out the most is two things. Uh, content that I'm not 100% interested in, which is now basically eliminated because I have just a dedicated show, you know, with Nick. So like, I'm, I'm interested in doing that show. So that's basically been eliminated. But before I would take flyers on content, try things out. And then all of a sudden you're 30 minutes into something and you're like, this isn't working or this isn't what I thought it was going to be. That can be mentally draining because you can't just abruptly end it. You have to, you know, finish crafting the content and you just, it feels like you're wasting your time. So that burns me out. And really the other thing that burns me out is like paying attention to the price action in the NFT market. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's so bad. Cause it's like an emotional roller coaster. Cause how can you have as much conviction in like a random JPEG NFT project as like the conviction that you have in like Bitcoin or the conviction you have in like Tesla stock, right? I don't care what happens with Bitcoin because I just have this crazy conviction in it where if it goes down, I'll just get excited and I'll buy more. But if the, this one random JPEG project that I'm speculating on corrects by 75%, that is like a terrible, terrible thing. So I've been kind of going through that over the past two or three days because we're we're seeing this pullback in the NFT market. And I'm thinking I've been thinking about it during this interview. Like, oh, I gotta list one of my peaceful groupies. I gotta like maybe think about listing a dead fella, you know, just gotta liquidate some stuff. What, what's going on with my ape gang? I just deployed 1.3 ETH in the ape gang the other day, you know. So it's like those are considerable sums of money that I don't want to just let go to zero, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, how <laughs> how active are you then with the the buying and selling um on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, now I feel like this obligation to be extremely active because of the shows. Like the mm -hmm. show's called the Nifty Alpha and it's a market and trade talk show. And the idea, like I have to participate, you know? And so um, hopefully we can figure out a situation to get like a community wallet going where there's like 10 ETH or something in this wallet that's controlled by me, Nick, and sophisticated art speculator. And we can kind of, you know have this wallet that we raised money for or something. So it's not like our money and we can kind of be a little bit more free, free flying or, or freewheeling with it. Um, so we'll see what happens there, but I'm pretty active, man. I'm always looking for projects to buy into. I have a, like a solid amount of ETH, ETH that I'm ready to deploy at any given time. Um, so that's what I would say about that. I'm, I'm pretty active and it can take a lot out of you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then with the Nifty Alpha, just sort of business model wise, um, are you considering going sort of the sponsorship route, like ads and things? Or like, I know you have a lot of uh, bigger plans along the path, but is there any sort of near term that you might be dabbling in? 
Yeah, I think sponsorship is a really clean and uh, effective way to raise money for a product like that, like one of these content shows in a space like the NFT space. The thing is, is a lot of people promote projects for money. I've never personally promoted a project for financial gain. I've had projects like randomly send me NFTs after I talked about them. And I'm kind of like, can you not do that? Yeah. Because then it looks like you paid me to talk about your project. Like, you know, anyone can send you an NFT. So things will just show up in my wallet. I don't know if they're scams. I don't know if when I click on them, my whole wallet is going to get stolen. Um, so that's been an interesting thing for me to deal with. But yeah, I think that promoting projects can get murky. And so we've kind of pretty much almost 100% decided that we're never going to do that. But a sponsorship, like a sponsorship from a brand mm -hmm. that's in the NFT space, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, and so we don't have like, you know, one of those yet. And we haven't like gotten serious with any sponsors yet. Uh, but I think that that could probably be a very effective way. You know, we have to believe in the product, obviously. Like if uh, Treasure or Ledger, you know, these cold storage devices, if they reached out to us and they wanted us to, you know, they wanted to sponsor us, I would definitely say yes. I mean, you know, I use those products. I understand those products and the benefit of them to our audience members. So I feel like I'd be an effective spokesperson for them, um, you know, if they wanted to do it. There's the pitch to treasure uh -huh. the ledger. There it is. You heard it here first. Sponsor me. Yeah. Yeah. And the tangential things too that you like believe in and support. So I've been considering the same. I have this show, but then with a uh, business partner, another like client, I guess, of our company, we have another show called Kidney Stone Diet. And we're we're exploring the options of sponsorships, even something that isn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be NFT specific, but tangentially something that I'm, I believe in, I use that connects um with the audience potentially but yeah so much opportunity out there and um i don't want to take too much more of your time because this is this has been great love diving into your story um where should we send people to follow along with everything you're up to yeah so um you know nifty alpha on youtube uh, i think we just got the naming convention so it's like youtube.com slash c slash the nifty alpha that's n-i you know t-h-e-n-i-f-t-y-a-l-p-h-a uh, then you can follow me on twitter it's at p-o vincenzo so p-i-o-v-i-n-c-e-n-z-o and then underscore it's my name i don't know what to do man i, I don't have a more <laughs> clever naming convention you can search for p-o.eth and i should pop up i have a a Pepe Frog is my picture um, with an orange background. So you can see that there. Um, and then join the Discord. Um, that's where I live. So that's the nifty.com slash Discord. So T H E N I F T Y dot com slash discord and that's where me and nick you know we're we're hanging out in that discord people are talking about trades people are talking about projects and we're definitely looking to expand that so that it's more artist friendly for example it can be a potential creative space um but those are pretty much the places that you can find me twitter youtube and discord awesome yeah well thanks again yeah. Thank you, man. It was a real pleasure. You asked great questions. And as someone that interviews people myself, I, I really, really enjoyed this. I want to thank Keo for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out the Nifty Alpha on YouTube where you can see his uh, daily his daily live stream video and then um, all the backlog. And check him out on uh, Twitter as well. The link to his Twitter account will be in the bio. As always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to Built.co. That's B-Y-L-T to get started. Built. Your website. Built for you. Simply. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, I would love if you subscribe on YouTube and uh, give this episode a little thumbs up and leave a comment. I mean, it all goes a long way to help me reach more people with this show, and I'm just really enjoying myself doing it. So thanks again. Well, that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I will see you next time.